Welcome to Full Rigor, a Florida true crime podcast. I'm Karen Curtis. And on this episode, I'm going to explore just the latest death row murder case in Florida to be overturned after 30 years with the help of DNA evidence. Now, I don't think there is any question that somewhere, sometime in the United States, a condemned prisoner was murdered by the state, I mean, excuse me, executed and was not guilty of the crime for which he was found guilty, at least up until DNA was able to exonerate some of these people. Now imagine you're a teenager in 1983 in Tampa, Florida. What was happening in 1983? Well, you had this strategic defense initiative that was actually proposed by President Ronald Reagan at the time, the Herod's bombing, Space Shuttle Challenger is launched in a maiden flight. World's most popular word processing program, Microsoft, is launched. Popular songs, Every Breath You Take by The Police, Billie Jean by Michael Jackson, and Flashdance, What a Feeling by Irene Cara. I always thought she was saying, take your pants down and make it happen. I think it was take your passion, but anyway... (laughs) Imagine now that you're arrested and convicted of raping and killing another teenager in 1983, and you are sentenced to death and put on death row at Stark Prison in Rayford, just feet away from Old Sparky. Now, eventually your sentence is commuted to life, but you know you did not commit the crime. You are there, wrongly accused, wrongly convicted. Years pass, and DNA technology advances. So in 2006, you ask, what about the DNA? What about the DNA? Can we test the DNA? You ask that your case be re-evaluated and that your DNA be tested and compared with the DNA found at the scene. But you're told that the DNA from the scene has been destroyed. Case closed. You're in for life you know that the DNA would not have matched yours. Your get-out-of-jail-free card just went up in smoke. Well, actually, not quite. Thanks to the Innocence Project of Florida and a newly formed Florida Conviction Integrity Unit, actually just one woman in that unit, she dug up some DNA from the rape kit that was taken at the morgue. and She located the DNA in 2020, and voila, it didn't match. You're a free man. Would you be bitter? I have no bitterness at all. If you keep hatred and bitterness in your heart, it just steals your joy from everything else. That is 55-year-old Robert Dubois. He spent 37 years behind bars and at one point was facing the death penalty. If for rape and murder he didn't commit, he has just been exonerated by DNA evidence and freed from the Hardy Correctional Institution in Bowling Green, Florida on August 27th, 2020. Hey, something good happened in 2020. (sighs) So he was released one day after Hillsborough prosecutors and lawyers from the National Innocence Project and the Innocence Project of Florida presented Circuit Judge Christopher Nash with evidence of his innocence. They were working with the state attorney, Andrew Warren's Conviction Integrity Unit, and parties told the court that there was in fact no bite mark That was one of the things that convicted him and that the DNA evidence from an untested rape kit excluded Dubois and implicated two other men. Here's Hillsborough State Attorney Andrew Warren. 
prosecutor's job is to seek justice, and that obligation to seek justice never ends. Today, we're filing a motion with the court to ask the court to promptly release Robert Dubois from prison. When science tells us that we've convicted the wrong person, it's up to us to listen and to act. There is not one shred of evidence that says that Robert Dubois committed this crime. Scary. Dubois was wrongfully convicted almost 40 years ago of raping and murdering a teenager in 1983. So it was the early morning of August 19, 1983, and a young woman's body was found behind a dental office in Tampa, Florida. She was 19-year-old Barbara Grams. She was beaten, assaulted as she walked home from work in central Tampa. Now, during the medical examiner's autopsy, he found a pattern injury on the victim's face, and it was determined to be a human bite mark inflicted around the time of her death. Now, during the detective's canvas, this guy, Robert Dubois, was identified as a person of interest after a local resident told police that he, quote-unquote, caused problems at their regular hangout. He's problematic. He must be guilty. Dubois, who had never been convicted of a violent crime, fully cooperated with police, allowed them to take a mold of his teeth, and the dentist concluded that his bite mold was a match to the bite mark on the victim's cheek, and detectives immediately arrested Dubois, who at the time was only 18 years old. He was actually kind of cute. He had long hair. It was the 80s, you know. Uh, Young didn't know any better. His conviction hinged on two factors, the bite mark on the victim's cheek and then a jailhouse snitch who said Dubois confessed to him. Yeah. The Innocence Project of Florida took on the case two years ago and passed its findings on to the newly formed Florida Conviction Review Unit and DNA evidence and revealed Dubois was not the killer. And what about the bite marks? When he was first arrested in 1983, he willingly submitted to a dental examination, telling police, I want to do it to get it over with. I want to prove to you I did not bite that girl. I didn't do it. The bite mark evidence was presented by the dentist, Dr. Richard Suveron, who also tested bite marks in the trial of serial killer Ted Bundy. But an expert who reviewed the evidence in the Dubois case now believes that the mark on Graham's cheek was not even a bite mark. If you want to listen to episode 27, Ted Bundy's Women, Victims, and Flames, it explains all about the bite mark evidence against him. So this is the same guy that was able to match up Ted Bundy's bite, but that was actually a bite mark on the ass of one of his victims that was helpful in convicting him. He had a load of evidence against him, unlike this guy. Eventually, the dentist acknowledged that he had overstated the certainty of bite mark matches in court testimony over the years. And as the science determined later on, many bite mark patterns may be similar and bites on skin may not be an exact capture of a bite pattern and that people's bite patterns change over time. But with that bite mark testimony, Dubois was convicted and sentenced to death. The Florida Supreme Court, thankfully, later reduced his sentence to life. But but this misapplication of forensic science, this bite mark science, was involved in 45% of DNA exoneration cases. Now, if you want to find out more about DNA, listen to my Full Rigor episodes 18, DNA Evidence, The Silent Witness, and episode 21, DNA Genealogy Match Nabs, Another Suspected Serial Killer. Did you know that 375 people have been exonerated by DNA and 21 of whom were on death row? 44 pled guilty to crimes they didn't commit 
and nearly 70% involved an eyewitness pointing out the wrong person. Another leading factor in wrongful convictions nationally is jailhouse informant testimony. It plays a role in about 17% of the 375 DNA-based exoneration cases. Now, after his arrest, Robert Dubois spent time in the Hillsborough County Jail with a man named Claude Butler. Now, Butler claimed that Dubois told him that two other men had killed Grams by beating her in the head, but Dubois raped her. Now, authorities said that Butler was in jail facing trial with the possibility of multiple life sentences for kidnapping, armed robbery, and battery on a law enforcement officer. Instead, the Innocence Project found that after Butler cooperated with police, he received a five-year sentence. Once the trial was over, Hillsborough County prosecutors asked a judge to release Butler immediately, and he was freed after 16 months. The men Butler claimed Dubois had named as the actual killers were never prosecuted. Now, according to the prosecutor, Warren, who just exonerated Dubois, he says that Butler's testimony had significant inconsistencies. And more importantly, the new DNA evidence clearly refutes his testimony. He named three men who were supposedly involved in the rape and murder, and the DNA didn't match any of them. None of them. Complete web of lies. The promise or expectation of receiving leniency or other benefits for testimony creates a strong incentive for witnesses to lie, you think? While the state has constitutionally obliged to provide the defense with key information related to the credibility of jailhouse informants, such as benefits provided for their testimony and many wrongful convictions, this evidence is never disclosed. And as a result, the defense can't raise concerns about the jailhouse informant's motivations and reliability to the judge and the jury. Can you imagine? You're Robert Dubois. You're sitting there. You're a teenager. And you're listening to this guy you just met in jail spinning all these yarns about you. And they're not true. I mean, this I would have been beside myself. Now, after the dentist and butler testified against Dubois, the jury convicted him, sentenced him to life. Well, actually, they sentenced him to life in prison, but the circuit judge, Harry Lee Coe III, overrode the jury and sentenced Dubois to death in 1985, which can't happen anymore. But in 1988, the Florida Supreme Court ruled that the jury's sentence was appropriate for someone who was not accused of being the actual killer. Remember, the jailhouse informant said he was just the rapist. And he ordered Coe to resentence Dubois to life. The Florida Supreme Court overturned Dubois' death sentence, ruling that the trial court should not have overridden the jury's sentencing recommendation and redirected that Dubois be resentenced to life in prison. And now a jury has to be unanimous when issuing a death penalty sentence. So now, again, imagine you're found guilty of rape and murder 37 years ago in 1983. The first case to use DNA evidence to convict somebody was in 1987. Oddly enough, in Tampa, Florida, and it was a rape case. That's in my episode 18. I explain all about that. It was a convicted rapist who was convicted in 1987 in Orange County, Tommy Lee Andrews. He was sent to prison nearly 30 years ago. He was suspected in two dozen rapes in 1987 and became the first person in the United States convicted with DNA. Now, Robert Dubois was a good-looking kid in the wrong place at the wrong time, and he's always maintained his innocence. And he says since his conviction and since his time in prison, a lot of life has passed him by. No, I'm nervous, but I'm excited too. Never used an iPhone, never used a computer, never been to a Walmart, never been to a Home Depot. Dubois also says, hey, I'm still employable. 
well, I'm a worker, you know, so I'm going to work. Well, I, I did stuff when I was out there, but I can do air conditioning, plumbing, and electrical. And there probably will be a lawsuit somewhere down the line for wrongful conviction. He may get millions of dollars. We'll have to see. But Dubois has always maintained his innocence, even in front of the parole board. I think it was December. I had a parole, a parole interview. I've had three of them, and they're all negative. They don't do nothing for you. So my goal at that point was if I have to, I get parole, and I go out there and prove my innocence myself. But... Of course, they had a negative attitude, so the lady says, well, tell me something about the case. And I said, listen, I know what you're looking for. You're looking for remorse. I said, I can't tell you I'm remorseful for something I didn't do. You know, and the same night is when I received a letter from her telling me that they took my case. And I just thank God for it. Can you believe it? Dubois was greeted outside the prison on August 27, 2020 by his mom, Myra, his sister, Harriet, the Innocence Project lawyer, Susan Friedman, and after hugging his mom, that's the first thing he did, he spoke to an assemblage of reporters and cameras and said, it's a beautiful day. I just prayed to God every day and hoped for it. I was just happy to get home to my family. It's an overwhelming sense of relief. I'm sure it hasn't really set in completely yet. You know, I still got a lot to do. I got to learn how to use one of those things. Now, the scary thing as I mentioned at the top, there may be other innocent people in prison, according to Dubois himself. Just that I'm not the only one. You know, their, their project needs support to continue what they're doing. But once they took over, it's only been like a year, right? Two years. Oh, two years? Two years. Really? Okay. Two years Time flies. It, it seems like in the last couple months, maybe, all everything just sped up. Zoomed up, yeah. You would think it would have slowed down with the coronavirus. Not so. When did, you, when did you get an inkling of hope that you would actually be released? When she called last Monday and she said they're going to come do a DNA swab of you. She said they're going to overnight it back to the lab and we're going to get it tested. So, of course, I didn't sleep all week. So I finally got to work this Monday. She set up another call and she says, listen, they got a hit. You're going to be free. Period. And in fact, there was not one shred of evidence that Robert Dubois was guilty of murder and attempted rape. And in 2006, his defense team was told that all the evidence was destroyed years earlier, including DNA. But thank God for Teresa Hall from the Conviction Review Unit. She had the bright idea to check with the medical examiner's office, who still had the DNA from the rape kit that was not from the scene or at the police department. So that brings up a topic. If you're looking for DNA, there may be two sources. It still may be at the morgue or it could be with the police department. Unbelievable. But he was told in 2006 there was no DNA. Now, the Innocence Project took on Dubois' case in 2018, and the attorney, Friedman, said she submitted it to the Hillsborough Conviction Review Unit in September of 2019 after digging into the jailhouse informant Butler, whose sentence was reduced from life to five years, and he ended up serving 16 months. Now, Friedman noted that Dubois first filed a motion seeking DNA testing in 2006, but was told the evidence was destroyed in 1990. And he kept constantly saying, what about the DNA? What about the DNA? Well, Friedman said he knew that would prove his innocence and the question would be over. And she said, when I told him I found the rape kit slides, he was so happy that he would finally be cleared. I mean, you know you're innocent. You know the DNA is not going to match. 
So what's happening now? The prosecutor, Warren, says the investigation is ongoing. They're looking at a person of interest that was developed as a major contributor to the DNA found on the victim. And he said the person was not a threat to the public, but declined to elaborate. So there's no mad rapist murderer running around out there. Now, DNA testing showed that DNA from two males was present, but excluded Dubois. Victor Dubois and Raymond Garcia. The DNA profile was entered into CODIS and matched an individual who had no connection to Dubois whatsoever. Now, again, Dubois' sentence in August of 2020 was commuted to time served, but when the charges are formally dismissed, he'll become Florida's 30th death row exoneree since 1973. 30th, the most in the nation. The state has executed 99 prisoners during that period, or one exoneration for every 3.3 executions. Really not a great track record for state-sanctioned murder, do you think? And until 2016, Florida permitted trial judges to impose death sentences despite jury recommendations for life or based on non-unanimous jury votes for death, including Dubois' case, Now, no state any longer permits a judge to override a jury's recommendation for life. Indiana and Missouri permit a judge to determine a sentence if jurors can't reach a unanimous sentencing verdict. That's kind of dangerous. So Florida's last death row exoneration was in the case of Clifford Williams Jr., who was freed in March of 2019 after serving 42 years for a murder he didn't commit. Dubois will be the 171st documented death row exoneration in the U.S. since 1973. I don't know about you, but I think that's a lot of people. And twice in 2019, authorities in South Florida used DNA evidence to identify and arrest a suspect in decades-old rape cases. So DNA is helpful in exonerating and in convicting in cold cases. Timothy Norris, he's 60 now, charged with the knife-point rape of a Florida woman in her home in 1983. According to Coral Springs Police, authorities found Norris serving time for bank robbery in West Virginia in their federal prison. And in a separate case, Coral Springs Police announced in August of 2018 that retesting DNA evidence had led to the arrest of 59-year-old Frank Montana, who suspected of raping a woman in 19. 1987 while wearing a ski mask and claiming he had a gun. Montana was extradited to Florida last year after serving prison time in Minnesota for a similar sexual assault. So one consolation is that these guys can't stop themselves and keep committing crimes. So eventually they do end up in prison. So they get their karma, but it's always good to get some closure in a case that's cold here in Florida. And I'm sure Dubois' exoneration doesn't make the family of the victim very happy. They would like closure too, and I understand that. 21 episodes back, episode 51, A Cure for Injustice, evaluated Florida inmate Leonard Cure, sentenced to life in prison. He was set free after the Broward prosecutor admitted that the eyewitness evidence against him was shaky. He was released with time served, and he'll eventually have all charges dropped. It's just... Unbelievable. It's, I don't even want to think about it. It's mind numbing thinking of all the people who may be sitting behind bars who are innocent. Now, granted, there's some really bad people that are in prison and deserve to be there. But Benjamin Franklin stated it's better 100 guilty persons should escape than one innocent person should suffer. It is of more importance to the community that innocence be protected than it is that guilt should be punished, for guilt and crimes are so frequent in this world that all of them cannot be punished. Now, speaking of a crime that's gone unpunished... Hello, you cool cats and kittens. It's Carol at Big Cat Rescue. 
Carol Baskin uh, from episode 49, Cool Cat or Killer Kitten. And it seems that she's desperately trying to move on from the growing number of questions surrounding the 1997 disappearance of her second husband, Don Lewis. Well... Hey, all you cool cats and kittens, Tampa's Big Cat Rescue Ranch owner and Tiger King nemesis Carol Baskin is set to claw her way through the upcoming season of Dancing with the Stars. DWTS announced just this week that Baskin has joined the cast of season 29 of Dancing with the Stars, which will premiere on ABC later this month. The show said she agreed without pause. I'm so sorry. The 59-year-old will go up against... Get ready for an epic new season of dancing with stars that will light it up. Hey! AJ McLean, Vernon Davis, Sky Jackson, Johnny Weir, Caitlin Bristow, Charles Oakley, Jeannie Mai, Justina Machado, Jesse Metcalf, Michelle Stout, Anne Haish, Monica Aldama, Neve Shulman, Nelly, and Carol Baskin. And it's all happening live in the ballroom. Yay! Dancing premieres live Monday, September 14th on ABC. Season 29 will also be Tyra Banks' first turn in the ballroom as host. She's replaced series vets Tom Bergeron and Aaron Andrews, which caused a big flap. Apparently, there was some problem last season with Sean Spicer and, and politics and diversity. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. It's Carol at Big Cat Rescue. Meow. So the hits just keep on coming with this woman. And now that she's agreed to put herself back in the spotlight by being on Dancing with the Stars, she has actually put a big target on her back. Now, this just happened. 48 Hours Suspicion will air a special interview on September 9th, that's Wednesday, with Trish Farr Payne. And she says she believes her ex-husband, Kenny Farr, okay, ex-husband could be bad blood. This could be just a whole machination against an ex-husband, but... Listen up. She says he was Baskin's former handyman and that he may have played a role in Lewis's 1997 disappearance. Now, during the 48-hour suspicion episode, Farpain alleges in the interview that her ex-husband told her not to talk about Lewis after he went missing in the late 90s. She also reveals that her ex-husband told her before Lewis was reported missing, and I quote, Don's gone and I don't want you talking about him, end quote. So Carol Baskin continues to say she had nothing to do with the disappearance of her second husband, even though recently a court ruled that his will and power of attorney had been doctored, that the signatures were copied, but the statute of limitations ran out on that. So Farr's concerned ex-wife goes on to allege that the handyman brought home a large freezer with a padlock that ultimately went missing around the same time Lewis disappeared and when that became public. So Farr told 48 Hours that the mysterious freezer disappeared from her home, quote, about a week after Don disappeared, end quote. Now, this is just obviously one person saying something. There's got to be some concrete evidence, but this isn't the first time that Far Payne has shared these concerns, though. And this is the key. According to the Tampa Bay Times, she informed the authorities in 2000 that she believed Farr was somehow involved. So she did tell somebody 20 years ago. Now, according to the Florida outlet, Far Payne claimed that her then-husband stayed home from work the same weekend Lewis disappeared despite regularly going to the animal park in Tampa every day. And she alleges that Farr also returned home that Sunday night in Lewis's van. Remember, it showed up, the van, at the airport, 
which she claims had pistols and rifles inside. The following day, her ex came home in his own truck. And as I said, that van was then found at the airport. What's more is Farpain alleged that her former husband once informed her that if she left him, she would go, quote, in the grinder like I did Don, end quote. And of course, during the Tiger King docuseries, there was speculation that Carol had her husband ground up in the tiger's meat grinder, and they never did a DNA test on it either. They searched around the big cat rescue ranch for his body and stuff, but they never found anything. They really did a half-assed job in investigating. So as Tiger King, Murder, Mayhem, and Madness viewers know, Baskin's nemesis, Joseph Maldonado Passage, a.k.a. Joe Exotic, accused the cat enthusiast of murdering her husband and then using her facility's meat grinder. To date, Baskin is not in jail, and she fully denies the accusations. Meanwhile, Joe Exotic is in jail because he tried to have her killed. And now Carol's going on Dancing with the Stars and soaking up all the limelight. By the way, her second husband, Don Lewis, was very rich. So she got all of his money and his millions. She had all the motive in the world to have him killed. And her third husband, there's a picture of her with him on the beach with a leash around his neck. It's so crazy. Now, Farpain claimed that she did not speak out initially because she was afraid for her kids. 48-Hour Suspicion will air again with the interview with Farr's ex-wife September 9th, this Wednesday, and I'll follow up with you on this boiling brew of tiger piss. So next week, I'll have the audio from the 48 Hours episode, and also I will talk to you about the fountain blue pool boy that brought down Jerry Falwell Jr. and his wife, Becky. That wraps up Full Rigor. Until next time... And check me out on Full Rigor Podcast on Instagram. Peloton, let's go! This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.